Jack. Hey, Jerrica. Hey, here we are. Third episode on Adnan. Yes. How about it? Our third episode, we're going to be covering the fourth episode of the case against Adnan Saeed. Time is the killer. So guys, we are starting back at where our previous episode ended, which was June 30th of 2016, where we found out that Adnan's conviction was overturned and he would be granted a new trial. Um, We end up having news flashes. Uh, We've got media and anchor persons discussing whether Adnan would actually get his new trial or not. Then suddenly we flash forward almost a year later, we're at June 8th of 2017, for the Court of Special Appeals hearing. Both sides ended up having 30 minutes for oral argument. It blows my mind that all of this has been to get 30 minutes in court. Right. You know, hundreds if not thousands of hours over the course of 17 years for interviews, investigation, to win an opportunity to talk to a panel of judges for 30 minutes. That so much work can go into having an opportunity for a 30-minute discussion. I guess the whole conversation was an hour because your prosecutors had an opportunity to give their 30 minutes on why uh, he should not be tried again. In the episode, we're in a car with Justin Brown, which of course is Adnan's attorney. And he was saying that they had more to lose than gain at that point. Since they were defending the opinion of the circuit court's judge, Welch, who is the one that overturned the conviction. The state was looking to attack Judge Welch's opinion on technical grounds. So let me ask this question. Why is Adnan's case not going over the first court that prosecuted him in the first place. And that's exactly what I was saying earlier. It shouldn't be with them. So they're sending him right back to the same court that basically dropped the ball, missed all of the clues for any other possible suspects, zeroed him out, and worked the case backwards on him. Yeah, I mean, they had their man... So they assumed, off of one person's testimony, Jay Wilds, you're trash. So. (laughs) And they worked it very narrow-mindedly. Instead of laterally working it out, they worked it to fit evidence that would incriminate Adnan. And and that really bothers me. And if if you guys go and and watch this four-episode documentary, you literally see that... There was no open-mindedness towards considering other suspects. Once Adnan came in, they began to adjust and tailor the story to fit Adnan into it. How does he get a fair trial? He doesn't. That's, none this of this point, has been fair to him. In, in all honesty, at this point, the court that found him guilty over a decade ago, nearly two decades ago, whether they admit it or not, whether the rules say they can or not, they have to save face. Right. They have an interest in proving that they were right and that they did not make a mistake. And that is a very dangerous position for Adnan. Right, because then they would have to admit fault and that they've wrongfully imprisoned a man for 17 years. Yes. Instead, they're just going to continuously try to prosecute Adnan. 
So what I was saying, uh, we're going to pop back to Justin for a moment. The prosecution, he said, wins a lot of their cases based off of arguing technical issues. If they, as the defense, were to win and the judge has the opinion in their favor, then it might be enough to dissuade the state from appealing any further. So we haven't discussed a whole lot about Adnan's mom, Shamim, in this. We're to a part of this episode that just kind of really rocked me and just punched me in the gut because Shamim is starting to cry and Rabia, of course, is trying to comfort her. It breaks out that Shamim has leukemia and she had been diagnosed and she had not discussed with any of her sons, um, only with her husband. Yeah, that was a really emotional part of the whole documentary because she just, you could see that she had this thing that she had to get off of her chest. She definitely knew there was no good time to do it and she just lets it out right there in front of the cameras. Right. Robbie even tried to stop the cameras. She said, you know, auntie, let's go to another room and... Shamim was very adamant, no, we need to get this out. Let's get it here. It's okay that they catch this. You know, it's a part of our story as well. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Rabia says, you need to tell Adnan so he can be praying for you. You got to love a family that prays. So, finally, after several failed attempts to get a hold of Jay Wiles, they were able to not interview him in person or sit down with him, but they did get him to uh, answer a few questions over the phone, which, true to form for Jay, uh, nothing. several crucial parts of the story and the way he reaccounted the events uh, over the phone with the private investigators didn't match up to his official statement. Oh, go figure, because Jay can't keep a lie straight. He's told so many stories that he doesn't know which one is his go-to. Yeah. You know, he maintained that he borrowed Adnan's car to go get a present um, for his girlfriend, Stephanie, at the time that Hay had disappeared. So something that we haven't discussed prior to this in the previous episodes and our previous coverage is Stephanie. I really didn't see where she gives some coverage to her. So Stephanie was Jay Wilde's girlfriend at the time that Heyman Lee had disappeared. And to this day, Jay maintains that he had borrowed Adnan's car to go get Stephanie a birthday present. Now, the only reason, the only connection really that Jay, Adnan, and Hay all had was Stephanie. Because they were all in the magnet program together. Not Jay. Jay had access to Adnan and Hay. Yes. There we go. Stephanie also was the only person to show up for Jay's sentencing hearing. She, to me, doesn't really play an important role in this. But because she's discussed heavily, I did want to kind of give some knowledge as to who Stephanie is. So, on the phone conversation, he contradicted his story yet again. And he said that he was trying to return Adnan's car to him at the school, but then he couldn't find Adnan. In his police interview, he told them he met Adnan at the Best Buy parking lot, which is where he discovered Hay's body. Right. And then, at the same time, he was telling the filmmakers that 
Adnan showed up at Jay's house. And yes. out in front of Jay's house is where Adnan popped the trunk and showed him Hay's body. So, so here we have a discrepancy between the official statement where he meets Adnan in the Best Buy parking lot. And Adnan has Hay's car and pops the trunk of her car. And she is in the trunk of her own vehicle in the Best Buy parking lot. And now we've gone from Jay telling these internal investigators that Adnan shows up at his house in Hay's car. And he has Hay in the trunk of her car. Right. Two completely different places. Now, man, you know, if this is... Even this being a 20-year-old story that he's having to recount, you'd think he would at least have the sense to at least remember where he was supposedly have, to have seen the body for the first time. Right. No, I completely I agree with you. I mean, that would stick you. out in my head. Yeah. You know. I so. mean, not everybody remembers dates as well as I do. And y'all are going to think I'm crazy, but I can tell you the dates of my employment from the exact date that I started and ended every single job that I've had. I can tell you anniversary dates, birth dates, death yeah. dates. I can tell you dates of funerals. I can tell you what day of the week those funerals were on. Yeah. I remember weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you would think that the very first time that you see a murdered body, Lord, I hope it's the only time that he has seen this, it, but he didn't see it at all. So let me just scratch that because... Yeah. Jay is trash and garbage, and none of this happened. His, his story is junk. Yeah. Like, it, but you would think that if if that happened, he would remember where it happened, at least. Yeah. And yet he has three different stories on how that happened. Jay ends up telling the filmmakers that Adnan gave him Best Buy as the meeting point for the location um, to drop off the vehicle. And also told them that Adnan had asked him to get 10 pounds of marijuana. And, of course, Jay did. And he said that that's how Adnan blackmailed Jay into helping him bury Hay's body. And I find that to be really funny. That now, 20 years later, he tells the investigators that Adnan asked him to get 10 pounds of marijuana. When he was, in fact, caught with several pounds of marijuana by Baltimore police before he ever became a witness against Adnan. But now Adnan was going to blackmail him when he had the marijuana. And this whole web gets tangled up in his head because that is exactly what happened. And over time, the truth will come out. It's just he got the names in the wrong places because it was the cops that caught him with the marijuana. And it was the cops that blackmailed him with the marijuana to frame Adnan for the murder. Yeah. There's a whole lot of truth in that lie that he's trying to recreate. I understand what you're saying. I, I do not disagree with that one bit. But I also think that Jen Pusateri was likely with him. There is a lot that Well, you got to think. Jay is the person. No one's going to believe a word he says. He's got to have someone to give credit to what he's saying. And if they were both together. Now, this is a speculation. And hopefully an entertaining one. Jennifer Pusateri just basically stated, the only way I knew Jay was because we both smoked weed, but we both bought and sold weed. That that was their connection. 
Jay's the only person that came forth with any, that has given any claim to being involved. Jennifer Pusateri is the credit to his name that confirms everything that he said. However, in the police interviews, there are a lot of actual details to the murder that Jay never offers to the police, but that Jennifer Pusateri had told the police in her interview that were confirmed by Jay. And it's very strange that with these two people, Jay's the star witness. Jay is the witness that basically damns Adnan right. to lose this case. It's his confession for helping Adnan supposedly bury Hay that points the fingers at Adnan. But what I find is crazy is neither one of them, Jennifer Pusateri or Jay, tell the complete story. They each hold half the story. And there's a truth out there somewhere. And I, I just, I find that so freaking strange. It's like this this version of the, this, the real raw truth is there between the two of them. And they know what really happened and it just eats at me. It just eats at me. Like, I want to go talk to them. <laughs> you want to make a trip to Baltimore, Maryland? You know, it's, it's one of those things where I want them to have to sit down with me. Well, we're going to have to make a trip there and then a trip to California if yeah. Jay is still there. Yeah. Anyways, guys, I'm sorry. That was, my imagination runs away with me sometimes. Oh, fun. Ooh. The car thing. Oh, gosh. We, we're there. We both got excited about it at the same yes. time. Yes. <laughs> so another thing that we didn't discuss was, and I know that they have true to form sciency names, but I call them grass specialists. Yeah, grass specialists. That's what I put in and, my notes. And they had really big words that just means grass transfer. Yeah, basically. And I was like, there's what? a word for that. It's not just moving grass. We learned a lot this week. Do y'all remember the first episode when we're discussing about how... Jay led police to Hayes car. That had supposedly been sitting in a, vac- in a vacant parking lot for six weeks. Right. So... What we did not discuss... Was the scientists, because science is awesome. We didn't go into a lot of detail on this because I didn't know how important it would be. It did not make the final cut. The scientists took samples of the grass and they were using photosynthesis and put them in client control environment to see when the light would hit on certain days the weather conditions during that time. And they wanted to know yeah. how long it would take for the grass to turn brown underneath Hay's car if it was there for over six weeks. But at the time of the investigators out there, they had also discussed with a neighbor, they wanted to check with her that the grass hadn't been reseeded and replanted in the area in at least those 18 years. She said that it had not, and she had lived there for 40 plus years, and it had never been replaced ever. And she admitted that between her and another neighbor, they would have noticed if a car was there longer than three or four days, they would have called the police to have it towed away. Yes. We love a nosy neighbor. Yes, we do. So when the private investigators have a discussion with this lady that has basically looked at that parking lot her entire life, and basically all it is, it's a vacant field. It's it's just a parking lot that's grass, and people park their cars there, and they carpool from there and whatnot. But when the investigators, who weren't even honestly fishing for a lot, the lady straight up denied that that was possible. She was like, a vehicle would never sit there for six weeks without being moved. 
she said if a vehicle would sit there for three or four days, we would call the police department and have them investigate it. The fun thing about the photosynthesis trial that they were doing from the grass samples that they took from the parking lot where Hayes' vehicle was setting, those results were inconclusive and didn't yield a whole lot of fruit that could be used as evidence. However, the grass specialist had another test, or not even so much as test, but he went back and he looked at the history in the weather for that. How many days was it? 46. 46 days that Hayes' car allegedly sat in that parking lot. And he took pictures of the way the car was found after Jay led police to her car. And he focuses in on the amount of grass and the substrate that was picked up by the tires as it was moved in. And he goes back, which... This is not a original idea of mine, but he all, he made a very general statement of with the amount of rain and the amount of freezing and the amount of dew and fog that we had, there was a lot of precipitation during that 46 days. This much would not be left. It would begin to slowly wash away. And it actually rained at least a half an inch almost a dozen days in that 46-day period. And these pictures... The grass specialist. Well, we'll have to find the term. He straight up says, this car may have even been pulled in the day before you found it. Because you can literally still see the tracks. Are you talking about the leaf blades? Uh Uh-huh. Detritus. Oh, detritus. Yeah. That's it. I take notes. That's awesome. So, because of Rick's side goog, we determined that there had to be around five inches of rain that occurred during that and snow on top of the heavy fog that occurred, Mm. right? Yes. And what our specialist is saying, that there is no way that that car could have been parked there for six weeks. And and have that much stuff on the tire tread. Right. There's no way it sat there for six weeks. The guy straight up says, he's like, to me, being a guy that studies grass, this car looks like it was pulled in right there. Maybe a few days before, if not the day before you guys found it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, just me speculating, they pulled it in and parked it, and boom, click, 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 snap some pictures. So it turns out that the court decides that they're going to uphold the overturn conviction, and now the state of Maryland has 30 days to decide if they're going to retry Adnan. What this means is that if they decide not to appeal again, they'll either proceed to the new trial or offer a plea deal. And... So Justin goes on to say about how tricky the plea deal would be and how, you know, they wouldn't just accept any deal, but it would likely be an offered plea. The significance of the offered plea is Adnan has been sitting in prison for how many years at this point, dear? 18. Yes. An offered plea is basically, it's kind of like tapping out at the weigh-in instead of going and actually getting in the ring. You look at your opponent. Your opponent doesn't actually have to use his skills and his size to beat you. You look and you see your opponent and you say, okay, this guy has enough to beat me. I'm not going to admit that you beat me, but I'm going to go ahead and concede and say that you would. Two days before the state's 30 days are up, the state ends up filing an appeal and denying Adnan a new... So what we were going to mention is... The forensic pathologist, she became a chief medical examiner. Uh, We're going to talk about her for a moment because she comes to us with some really great information. Her name is Dr. Jan 
Gorniak. She goes into basically talking about how Hay died. Confirms the fact that she was strangled to death. Uh, her hyaloid bone was broken while she was being strangled, which is the small bones that create the rigid structure of your uh, windpipe. Right. It's the U-shaped bone at yeah. the top. Per the prosecution, Hay was murdered inside of her car from someone in the back seat. However, during a struggle, someone would expect all sorts of effort in fighting. You're not just going to sit there and let somebody strangle you and not move to defend yourself. So you would expect to see someone who would have been trying to get free from whatever was binding them. Whether it was kicking at the dash, trying to get leverage to pull yourself away, pulling out whatever was restraining you, scratching, kicking, hitting, whatever you can. However, Hay didn't have any evidence of fractures, lacerations, broken fingernails, or other further injuries that would have proven a struggle was present from the inside of her car. Yeah. Now, didn't they say that her face at some point did hit the windshield? No, not the windshield, but the driver's window. They said that there is a bruise on the side of her head, but where that bruised muscle was, there was no contusion there. There was no marking of the skull. And what the pathologist was saying was it Mm -hmm. looked like, like it was a part of lividity. Yes. So let's talk about that. When they found Hayes' body in the woods, partially buried, how was she laying? She was laying on her side. She was laying on her side. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier about lividity, brief review. Basically, when your heart stops pumping blood through your body, blood is a fluid that is going to take whatever form the container is in, and it is going to take the path of least resistance, and it is going to settle at the bottom. It is going to follow gravity. All of the lividity that was present in Hay's body was on the front of her body. As However, if she was face down. Yes. However... Dr. Gorniak says, and there are pictures to prove it, there are two double diamond shapes around Hay's collarbone. Meaning that when post-mortem was happening for several hours, something was pushed against her while she was face down. So it's kind of a figure eight-ish double diamond, like two diamonds stacked on top of each other. And there's two of them yes. side by side. Yes. So, lividity takes between 8 and 12 hours to settle. To become permanent, at least. Right, to be fixed. Yes. And that diamond shape, there wasn't anything remotely close to that shape around where Hay's body was found. No. Meaning that she would have been fixed in one place for a minimum of 12 hours before being moved out to Leakin Park and buried. So... That in itself rules out the state's idea that Hay went missing mm-hmm. after 2 o'clock and she was buried after 7 o'clock because it would have been a minimum of 12.30 a.m. the following morning before she could have been buried. And the reason all of this is significant is because, once again, this piece of scientific evidence... Rules out Jay's rules testimony. Rules out Jay's testimony that he saw Hay right after she died. She was pretzeled up laying on her side. They also buried her laying on her side. However, wherever Hay was between the time she died and the time her body was moved, she had to have been sitting still in one location for 8 to 12 hours, flat on her face, 
on something on something that has these parallel double diamond figure eight shape in order for all of this to become permanent. So the state's timeline, we know that Hay left school around 2.15 and she was heading to pick up her cousins, take them home, and then go meet Don, her boyfriend. Yes. Okay. Okay, so remember in our first episode, I told you Alonzo Sellers would be coming back? Mm -hmm. We're here. Nice. Let's discuss for a moment exactly who he is. Remember we said that he was the streaker who had been arrested two times prior for it? Allegedly. And then that random day, he decides that he doesn't want to be in public and let them see him take a leak. Pulls over to the side of the road, walks up 127 feet into the woods, and randomly stumbles upon a half-buried Hey Minley. Uh-huh. And yes, you guys heard that correctly. 127 feet. Into the woods to take a leak. A guy who is quite comfortable exposing himself in public this particular day. He doesn't want to be seen and walks 127 feet out into the woods to take a leak where he stumbles upon the half-buried body of Heyman Lee. So do you guys want to know something? Obviously, they want to know or they wouldn't be listening, yeah. right? So that shape, the double diamond that was on Heyman Lee's shoulder only matches to one object out of all the world's objects that they tried to match that shape to. A thing called a cement shoe. The concrete shoe, it's a tool that goes to the bottom of a grinder and it's used basically to grind up concrete. Guess who used to work in concrete? Was a tradesman in concrete, concrete finishing, everything. Alonzo Sellers. Here's the thing. Heyman Lee, according to the court, was dead by 3 o'clock and buried by 7.40. That is the story that convicted Adnan. However, Heyman Lee's body was face down, not laying on its side, as Jay explained to the police, not laying on its side as the body was found laying on the side. She was laying face down on something that was either a concrete shoe or identical to a concrete shoe for 8 to 12 hours prior to being rolled over to any other position. The earliest that she could have been moved would have been 12.30 a.m. the following day. The, yes. At the very earliest. Remember when we said in the first episode that Hay's boyfriend, Don, would be coming back? We're here. We're here. Don's prior co-worker... They give him the initials S.H. S.H. worked in the lab at Lens Crafters with Dawn. Now, prior to S.H.'s information, there is another gentleman that we see via webcam. The gentleman who was on the webcam said that there was absolutely no way that Dawn would have been working that day. The only way that Dawn would have been there on a Wednesday would have been if that other guy had called in sick. But we have all the timesheets from those people and they were both there. Dawn conveniently was clocked in at those times. Uh, and he said that the only way that that would have been possible is if someone would have clocked in for him and they had his password for the clocking in. When Lynn's crafters sent everything over for the case, they made sure to put it in bold writing that his manager, Don's manager, was his mother. And we mentioned that previously too. Okay, going back to SH. 
He claims that he spoke with Don during a smoke break, and Don mentioned that he was missing. And that Don had scratches and bandages around his hands and up towards his wrist that he claims he got from working on his car. Now, this is while all of this is going on, within days. Right, this is the next day. Yeah, this guy whose time card could have been modified by his mother, who is his manager, who the day that he punched in that Hay disappeared, he wasn't supposed to have been on the schedule anyway, says co-workers, and they all say there is no explanation for why Don would have been working because the other lab tech that worked the weekday shift was also there on the clock that day. And co-workers said there is absolutely zero reason or zero recollection of there ever needing to be two lab techs working in the lab at the same time. Unfortunately, we know that Hay went missing on January 13th. Don was not interviewed by police until February 4th. So those scratches... Everything those, would have been healed. Yeah, those cuts on his hand, they would have been healed. Or if they were not healed appropriately at the time, the police may not have noticed them. They were probably already healed. Guys, this isn't exactly information that the police would have had at the time. So I'm not... Uh, this isn't bashing them in this particular statement. I'd really like to hear the full conversation with S.H. to see how much about what they discovered about the case he knew. I'm really hoping that that statement came from just a general open-ended, hey, did you have any conversations with him around the time this happened? For this guy to say, I remember he had scratches and, and cuts and bandages on his hands and wrists. He said, I remember Like clearly, it was yesterday. Clearly. Like crystal daggum freaking clear. Mm -hmm. Guys, I'm telling you, had they not already pinned this on Adnan and reverse engineered their stories, can it happen? You're dang right it can happen. Especially if no one was pointing a finger at Don at the time. But guys, had they not had anyone else in mind, all fingers and all arrows and all stories point to Don, and I can't say he did it. But with what I know today, if I would have known that then, Don would be my primary suspect and it would take a lot, a lot to get my eyes off of him to convince me that I needed to look somewhere else. However, with Adnan, knowing what we have here in retrospect, looking back, hindsight, I can't put him on this case. So between the prosecution, okay. the state... <clears throat> And the defense agree, thank you to the Attorney General, I suppose, that they're going to test select items. Now, yes. there is a whole slew of items in the autopsy report that are DNA that was collected. Bunches and gobs. They were never tested. No. So they are testing, I believe it was six each. It was 12 total. And I believe the mm. six on each party. So, of the 12 samples that wound up being tested for DNA, Adnan's DNA was not found under Hayes' fingernails. It wasn't found on the items in the backseat of Hayes' car, on her body. His DNA wasn't found anywhere. None of the named witnesses' DNA came back either. Not even Jay's. Nope. There is a DNA profile that was pulled up from the rope that was found right next to her body. But guess what? When they ran the DNA off of that, that person is not in the system. Meaning... They haven't been arrested or 
if they were arrested, they were arrested by something that wouldn't require a DNA pool for their arrest record. Right. And their DNA isn't in the database. Yeah. Whose DNA is in the database? Jay's. Mm-hmm. Whose DNA is not? Don's. Don had no arrest history that would have caused him to be fingerprinted or had a DNA search warrant. Speaking of Don, just a little tidbit of information that they throw in in the very first episode, and I haven't thought about it until just this second. He was 23 when he was dating Hay, and Mm -hmm. she went missing. And he has been on disability since he was 24 years old. Now, I don't know what kind of disability he has or is on, but he said that he's been unable to work ever since. And I just wonder if it eats him alive so much, if he did this, that he was unable to work or maintain himself in any manner. Oh, guilt can destroy a person. It can destroy their health. It can destroy, it can hijack their focus. I just thought about that. Guilt can make you absolutely useless, especially not only knowing what you did, especially when you know a young man's rotting in prison. Yeah, for something that he did not do. That's a hill I'm willing to die on. Right. Now, guys, we're making a lot of speculation here, okay? But it's our show. We'll do what we want, okay? (laughs) Uh, And tell our attorney tells us to shut our traps. We're going to continue. I'm going to let my imagination run away with the clues here. I'm just going to do it. Y'all should try talking to me face to face. (laughs) So we go on and Justin Brown, he has talked to the attorney general's office. And the attorney general wanted Adnan to plead guilty, not offer an offered plea. And they wanted him to serve an additional four more years. So they're sitting there and they're breaking it down. They're like, what is so significant about that? And then they're like, oh, it's the year after his election. So he wouldn't have been going through his campaign to get reelected, having this dark cloud of releasing the murderer, you know. Right. So now here's the thing. November 2018, Adnan refuses the, the state's plea. Dill. Here's the thing. Remember the phone call? With Adnan and his attorney, when he calls him, the attorney doesn't even want to call and tell him about the deal. Yeah, it sounds great because he's looking at life plus 30. And if he only serves four more years, you know. But when Adnan's listening, he doesn't even take a day. He's He's just like, it's been almost two decades and all of these people have worked so hard to prove that I'm not the one that killed Hay. And he said, if I accept a guilty plea, then the case is closed. It'll always stay closed. And we'll never find out who truly killed Hay. So if I have to set in here, I would have to look at my mom's face and admit to doing this. Knowing the, that he didn't. Yes. And the big thing is, and I'm going to tell you, if I've spent, if I was looking at spending the rest of my life in prison, and after I'd been in there for 17 years, I don't I don't think I'm as admirable as this young man because I'm going to tell you whatever the hell you want to hear so I can go home. My thing is, and this is just my thinking, for Adnan, not anybody else, mm-hmm. I'm going to say for Adnan, if he were guilty and they offer him that plea, plea guilty, mm-hmm. get out in four years, he would have served 22 years for the remainder gotten away with it yeah you know been able to get out and live his life but knowing that he's innocent knowing that he's gonna spend the rest of his life behind bars he has a life sentence plus 30 years Mm -hmm. knowing that he is innocent and being offered this deal 
plead guilty, get out in four years. He would rather have spent the rest of his life behind bars than to accept this deal and and get out in four years. Because he he would rather die knowing that he is innocent, continuing mm -hmm. to fight for his innocence. They were dang near out of tries at this point. And, And here's what blows my mind. The last statement he makes, if I accept this plea deal, yeah, I get out of prison. His case will be closed forever. He said, but if there's a chance that even in the future that we can discover something that releases me from this and it keeps Hayes' case open, he wanted to see Hayes' case reopened. Yeah, absolutely. And he was willing to sit in there for the rest of his life and wait on that day that they reopened the case. That doesn't sound like a guilty man that's wanting this to go away. He wants the evidence looked at. He wants the interviews to happen. Right. And he wants who really killed Hay to get out there on the chopping block because he wants justice for her too. He was willing to forfeit the rest of his life behind bars in order to save that chance that in the future this case might get opened back up and we can find the bastard that really killed her. Yeah, exactly. He's a better person than I am. <laughs> he he really is. So we fast forward uh, four months. It's March 8th, 2019. And the Court of Appeals issued their ruling in a seven-judge panel. Four to three ruled to reverse both the lower court's decision and deny Adnan a new trial. And that is where the that particular documentary shuts us down. The episode ends and I'm freaking enraged. Yeah. Don't worry, guys, because we're not going to leave you hanging. Yeah, like we're that. not leaving you guys hanging. <laughs> we're going to give you all the facts of the of the case that has happened since then. Okay, so April 8th, 2019, Adnan's lawyer made a motion to ask the Court of Appeals to reconsider its decision. Okay, so three different organizations moved the Court of Appeals for leave to file amicus curiae benefits in support of Adnan. Babe, you're... A lot smarter when it comes to vocabulary, and I've never run across this term before. Amicus curiae is an individual or organization who is not a party in the legal case, but they are permitted to assist the courts by offering certain information, expertise, or insight on issues within the case. Thank you, dear. So basically, up to the discretion of the court itself. So the briefs were by the Innocence Network and the MacArthur Justice Center, the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, and the Maryland Criminal Defense Attorneys Association, Maryland Office of Public Defender, and individual criminal defense attorneys. And wow, that was a mouthful. That was a mouthful. (laughs) Yes, I was reading off of notes for that because I would have just said a bunch of attorneys. Yeah, no, you have to take notes for this reason. Right. (laughs) So fast forward 10 days where April 19th, the Court of Appeals denies Adnan's motion for reconsideration and the motions for leave to file amicus curiae. August 19th, Saeed filed his position for writ of cert or certiori, which is to be fully informed to the United States Supreme Court. Right. It's like demanding that the lower court provides the information to the higher court. Yes. So on September 17th, the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers filed an amicus brief with the U.S. Supreme Court in support of Saeed. On Friday, September 20th, 2019, the Innocence Network 
and the Roderick and Solange MacArthur Justice Center filed an amicus brief with the United States Supreme Court in support of Saeed. But that same day, Martin Tankliffe and 38 other wrongfully convicted individuals filed an amicus brief with the United States Supreme Court in support of Adnan. And I have goosebumps all over. On Friday, October 18th, 2019, the state of Maryland filed a brief with the United States Supreme Court opposing Saeed's petition for certiori. On November 1st, 2019, Adnan's team filed a reply brief. And Monday, November 25th, 2019, the United States Supreme Court denied Saeed's petition. The Maryland Supreme Court ruling that Saeed is not entitled to a new trial stands as the final word in this case as of then. Then we fast forward nearly three years. I am very choked up and emotional. Oh, <laughs> I have yeah. tears in my eyes. Mm-hmm. After all of the briefing. All of the denials. attorneys, civil rights groups. The Innocence Project. The Innocence Project. Okay. Fighting like hell. Finally, someone in the justice system comes to their senses. September 19th, 2022. Adnan Saeed walked out. A free man. I'm crying. Uh The prosecutors in Baltimore after looking at all of the evidence, determined that had certain evidence been known at the time of the investigation, that Adnan Saeed would not have been a suspect. His DNA was excluded. His DNA was excluded. After all of the testing, Adnan's DNA was not rendered on Hay's body. Any of the implementations of the crime, there was his DNA was found on one thing that was taken out of the car. It was a road map, which he stated that he was always the navigator on their road trips, and his DNA would have been all over that map. And finally, the prosecutors come in with fresh eyes, look at the case, admit they would not have been able to convict, probably even arrest Adnan, with finally having the all of the evidence to look at. The state's attorney for Baltimore, Maryland, Marilyn Mosby, said Hayes' family has had to relive this unimaginable nightmare over and over again. And on the other side, equally as heartbreaking, Adnan has had to suffer the pain and sacrifice and trauma of having to be imprisoned for over 23 years for a crime that he was wrongfully convicted for. And he was on house arrest for 30 days where he had to wear an ankle monitor. And after that 30 days, they decided to dismiss his case entirely and to not retry him. And they have reopened Hayes' case. And he is a free man. Hey, is Adnan is a free man? The case is reopened? Yes. There is going to be... Next... We will probably update you after that hearing just to let you know what happened. It'll be a real quick YZ before an episode. Um, Kind of recap Adnan. But you guys, thank you for hanging with us throughout these episodes. I know it's our... We did not intentionally drag it out, but there was so much information in this. And remember that Hey Minley deserves justice. We need to figure out who murdered her. And... Make them serve their punishment, serve their time. And hopefully it's a heck of a lot harsher knowing that they've gotten away with it for 24 years.
apologize for leading you guys on and not getting to this last week. We had to apologize that this wasn't released sooner, and thank you so much for hanging on with us. So, quick teaser. Taste. I know what the next episode is. Give them a little taste of next the next episode. Oh my gosh, you guys, we're gonna be covering the cannibal cannibal cop. cop. Oh my god. <laughs> ah. Okay. Anyhow, we love you. I love you so much. Thank you, guys. And hey, I love you too. Oh, hey, you. I love you, Jerica. I love you, Rick. Right. It's so weird calling you that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys, for keeping us company. And you guys. Or and gals. <laughs>